So welcome to the Meaningful Jobs podcast season two. I'm Adrian, your host, and today uh, we are so glad to welcome Dorcas um, to our podcast. Um, how are you, Dorcas? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Thank, thanks so much. So, um, yeah, I think the the reason why you know I was you know really interested uh, in having you in our podcast is because I was doing some research online. I saw a piece you wrote about spirituality and how it ties in uh, with um, the perks that Silicon Valley companies are offering um, to employees nowadays. So, um, you know, before we dive into, um, you know, deeper topics like meaning of work and so on, um, could you maybe give us a brief overview about your career? Because I think you got into uh, communications and you are an entrepreneur as well. So. Yes, yes. So uh, I've done a few different things, had a few different careers, as I'm yeah. sure many people have had. I actually started out in the nonprofit sector, uh, just right. developed a real love for mm -hmm. social justice and trying to address mm -hmm. social challenges. Uh, so for a number of years, I worked for different nonprofits doing community development, youth leadership, yeah. volunteer recruitment, affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And then a little later on, I moved into the social enterprise space. So my right. husband, Ned, is the co-founder of a social enterprise called Delight, right. which creates solar powered products for families without access to electricity in developing countries. So right. he and I actually moved to China to help oversee the manufacturing operations for the company. And so at that time I joined the company, I yeah. started off as their director of communications and director of human resources, because, you know, in a startup, everyone has to do multiple yeah. jobs. Yeah. So um, I did that for a little while and it was incredibly impactful, incredibly meaningful, and yeah. it was very intense. So, so not only were we working very long days trying to solve this massive problem of 1.3 billion people in the world, not having yeah. access to grid electricity uh, but we were also living in a foreign country i'm ethnically mm. chinese but i was born yeah. in the u.s and so china felt like a very different place to me <laughs> well, and uh so it, it was a lot it was a lot yeah. of stress and i ended up totally burning out and right. and because of that then i started journaling um so mm. i started journaling just to process a lot of what had happened to try to understand what was happening within me and why I had responded the way I did to the circumstances right. around me. And through that, I discovered how healing and meaningful mm -hmm. writing was for me. So mm -hmm. then that started a whole new career path for me, which is right. writing. So I've been writing professionally for more than 10 years now, have also been doing mm -hmm. editing as well. And so I have a bunch of articles and essays published, have three right. books published. Um, and then now I am currently serving as the editorial director of a faith-based nonprofit called PAX. And right. what I love about this role is it actually marries a lot of what I love. So uh, I get to be back in the nonprofit sector working yep. for justice, uh, but also getting to work with words and, and right. write and, um, and work with other writers and artists, which is wonderful. Well, it sounds like a really cool story that you have. Um, could could you maybe tell us a little bit about like why you got into nonprofit at such a young age? Because I think that most people would usually start out in the corporate world, but mm. um, for you, you went straight into like a nonprofit. So is, yeah, yeah it's not a well, I reason. I think um, 
part of it is that I am just a very empathic person. Right. So uh, right. I think those of us who are born particularly empathetic, um, and there's also a, a category of people called highly sensitive people. So I mm. count myself as one of them as well, where you um, just really connect and identify mm -hmm. with others and i think particularly right. when others are having a hard time yep. when they're suffering when something unfair and unjust has mm -hmm. happened um you can't help but feel some measure of emotional investment mm -hmm. and um and wanting to uh try to address that and try to do what right. you can to make things better i also had uh, the benefit of some really fantastic opportunities and professors and peers in college who really inspired me so my sophomore year in college I spent a week, uh, so it was called an alternative spring break project right. where uh, over spring break, instead of taking a vacation, you actually do mm -hmm. a service learning trip. Mm -hmm. And so we went to downtown San Francisco, uh, lived there and served there mm -hmm. for one week and really looked very intensively at the topic of homelessness and people right. who are not Right. And why is this the case? What are the challenges? Um, mm -hmm. What are the possible solutions? And and I think from there, it, it just made me realize, wow, I think this these are the kinds of things mm -hmm. that I want to work on. Like what right. everything that I have been given, my education, the opportunities, mm -hmm. my immigrant parents worked super hard to yeah. get me to where I am today. I would love to be able to give back to others and to mm -hmm. um, ensure that others also have similar uh, opportunities and, and have the chance to fulfill their potential and and pursue what what they most love to do. Would you say you encountered you know any particular difficulties you know in the nonprofit sector? Because oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure plenty, plenty. <laughs> nonprofit sector is full of difficulties. Uh, you know, the burnout rate in the nonprofit sector is something like fifty percent because oh, is it even it, higher than the corporate world? You think? Uh, possibly so, because, oh, wow. you know, you're working incredibly long hours, you're yeah. getting severely underpaid, yeah, you know, yeah, by yeah. making less than 10% of what people in the corporate world make. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and everyone's wearing multiple hats, doing multiple jobs, because there mm -hmm. are just never enough resources to go around. And, right. you know, you're surrounded by, um, you're just constantly in the the thick of it in, yeah. in these really challenging, thorny questions that are causing real people a lot of pain right. and so there's this emotional um, energy that you need to use as well it, just to to care for yourself to care for the people around you and so it's very common for people to just become exhausted um, mm. because there's so much to be done and not enough people to do it um, mm. and you know you yourself might be struggling to pay the bills or yeah. to even time to yep. to rest and um and so that that's really challenging it's it's mm. um i love the nonprofit sector and i think um there are a lot of things about the sector that we can do to make it a more sustainable place to work mm. is there any reason why um it seems you know the the nonprofit sector is quite you know understaffed you know aside from perhaps you know funding issues um i'm not sure do you think it's because of like a labor shortage or like are there any other reasons why that might be the case Oh, goodness. Well, uh, <laughs> this is getting into macroeconomics, which is not right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Being a bit too technical. <laughs> no, that's okay. You know, I think um, 
funding is a huge, I mean, but that's sort of the bottom line challenge of pretty much every nonprofit mm -hmm. is, is being able to access a regular stream of funding. Yeah. Um, and so then without that funding, it's hard to retain people. It's hard to attract people. And then, as I was saying, with this high burnout rate, you have a lot yep. of turnover. And mm -hmm. so even if you have these great people coming into the industry, they're not necessarily going to stay. So I think mm -hmm. a good number, um, you know, probably like half of those people who burn out, I believe a study was done, half of them just leave the nonprofit sector altogether because right. it's too right. difficult. Um, so so I think there are plenty of people who want to do this kind of work, yeah. um, but can we actually pay them what they're worth? You know, yeah. can we make the, the hours um, and the the weight of the work a little bit more humane mm. and sustainable? Um, mm. And can we find the funding to to make it all stay afloat and keep going yeah. without stress on everyone. So I think you mentioned that you had, you, you experienced burnt out when you were in China. Mm -hmm. um, did that happen also before you went to China or like did it happen because? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, I, I was on a pretty regular cycle of burning out like every <laughs> two years. So wow, that's quite uh, I thought, I thought it was the jobs, you know, right. and to some extent it was. Uh, and then I think a lot of it was also me in that um, I had very high expectations of myself. I, mm -hmm. as much as, you know, there was to do in my roles, I felt like I had to do even more because the stakes mm -hmm. are so high, right? It can feel yeah. like life or death. It feels like, you know, so yeah. many people are counting on me. And, um, and I guess it is life or death sometimes. It can be. Yeah. And, and, but at the same time, I think, you know, there is this um, unhealthy mentality mm -hmm. that a lot of us who work in social justice can can develop, which is the sense of like, it's all on me. Yeah, and right. like, I don't do it, no one will, or I can't fix this and no one can. And mm -hmm. the reality is that none of us are that big and that important. You know, we play our part. We should be faithful to play our part. Yeah. Um, but but we do this together. We do it in community. We depend on one another. Uh, and if there's something that I can't do, then I should look to somebody else to to pick it up. You know, it, it, uh, I think it, it's almost this in there's this weird kind of ego in mm. it uh, where where you make yourself out to be more important than you are, that <laughs> you think that you alone can change the world and make everything better and fix all the problems. And, and that's just not the case. Um, mm. Again, I think you find your place, you do your part to the yeah. best of your ability and then you recognize that there's a lot there's a lot that I can't do and so I think it wasn't until I started to understand that <laughs> and it took a long time which is why I kept burning out over and over again and and the burnout in China was definitely by far the worst one um, because I you know spiraled into a very deep depression for uh, quite a number of months couldn't work um I didn't really do much more than sleep and journal really um and but but at that point that was when I started to realize the way that I have been functioning is mm. not working and I have to do something completely different mm. I guess I'm quite fascinated when you said um you came to a sudden you know realization that you know what you were doing isn't working because it you know it takes quite a lot of time to actually a lot of guts as well to reflect mm -hmm. on what you did wrong and and admit your mistakes so could you share a little bit about how you came to this realization and how you coped with burnout because I guess that's something that a lot of other viewers or even you know 
people not viewing our channel you know would suffer on a daily basis mm-hmm. yeah burnout is very serious and it's very real mm. uh, so many people go through it uh you know for me I think one of the mistakes I made was that I didn't pay attention to the early signs of it. So when I had those initial few burnouts, they were a little bit more minor, mm-hmm. you know, so I I would feel um, a lot of anxiety. I'd have trouble sleeping at night. Um, I have my heart would be racing a lot mm-hmm. of times and I just ignored it. I think especially because right. I was young. Also, I was in my right. early to mid 20s. And so you have this sense of like, whatever, I can do anything. I'm fine. I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I didn't pay attention to that. So when when I would, you know, leave one stressful job, I would just move into the next stressful job and, <laughs> and wasn't very intentional about, you know, thinking about, mm-hmm. is this really going to be a place, you know, as good as the work is that they're doing, is this really going to be a place where I can cultivate some sense of balance in right. my life, sense of it's okay to take mm. breaks it's okay to to leave some of those burdens at work and not carry them home mm. um and and so then by the time it happened to me in china it was so serious that yeah. it almost did feel like a life or death thing for me personally of if i don't change this mm. um i am maybe never going to be able to work again mm. and um and, you know, work is, is something that gives many of us a lot of purpose. And, and yeah. so you don't, yeah, I mean, ideally, you don't want to get to that place where yeah. all you can do is easier said than done, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, what was challenging at the time was that I was living in China and uh, not in Beijing or Shanghai, not those like major well, metropolitan cities. Uh, what's that? Like in one of the, in one of the smaller cities. Uh, well, you know, I should say it was still a large city. I lived in Shenzhen. Um, okay, okay. Still a large city, but at the time, you know, it was sort of like an up and coming city yeah. and uh, very few foreigners. Um, mm. So there were just very limited resources for me. Like, I don't know that I could have found a therapist. That's what I had done previously. When mm. I had had previous burnouts, I would go, you know, meet with a therapist for a few yeah. months, or even a year or two. And that was always very, very helpful. Mm. I couldn't do that from China. Um, but what I did do was I connected with a friend back home in the US. And yeah. she and I had weekly phone calls where we would just check in with each other and have very honest conversations about what's going on. Um, how are you processing things? She was inc- an incredible friend to me. And mm. then um, I also got connected to um, someone who is called a spiritual director mm. who is here in in the U.S. as well. And this was the time of Skype. So we were on Skype. And I think it was one of the first times she had ever used Skype. She had, had you know, never had a client who was in a different country. And um, but it was that was also really helpful for um just giving me insight. She would ask lots of good questions and giving me insight into what's going on like deep in my soul, you know, not just kind of the surface level struggles, which I could talk about for days on end. Um, And she, she kind of, you know, also helped give me insight on, but this is who you are. And, you know, um, that was when I was first introduced to the Enneagram, um, you know, which is this, uh, personality type uh and it um that was actually incredibly helpful for me to recognize okay this is who I am as a result you know this is what's hard for me this is what works for me and also 
that's okay. You know, I don't yeah. need to be yeah. a different kind of person. Um, mm. I don't need to try to force myself to be a certain way um, mm. because doing that hasn't been working for me. So I need to be authentic to who I am mm -hmm. and really understand that and um, let give myself time and space to heal and then go pursue something that um, that not only is meaningful, mm -hmm. um, but but feeds my soul. Right, right. Um, yeah. I guess, you know, in modern day society, a lot of people work primarily for money, which is totally understandable. Um, but you mentioned a good point about, you know, feeding your soul, because I guess this is something that society overlooks quite often. Mm -hmm. um, you know, based on your personal experience, are there any like, ways where people can uh, maybe try and understand you know their inner self a bit more and maybe find more meaning you know in work aside from you know monetary compensations yeah well obviously we all need money to live so yeah, that is a pretty legitimate <laughs> yes um but i i think it's also understanding that money ultimately it's a tool right yeah. and um it helps us uh, get access to other things and to live at a certain uh, quality of life standard. But but there are very, very significant limitations to what money can provide. Mm. And, um, you know, there have been studies done where people will always, if you ask someone, like, how much money do you need to be completely content? Mm. Um, it is very typical, like the average person will always like double their current salary and say like, if I just had two times more what I'm making now, then I will be perfectly content and I'll have everything I need. But the interesting thing is that once you reach that amount, like let's say you do, you know, yeah. you work hard, you get to that point where you have doubled your salary. And you want to double it again. <laughs> exactly. If someone asked you that same question again, you would say the same answer. Oh, I need double what I have. And so I think just to recognize that there are desires within us that can never be met by money. I mean, money has its purpose, absolutely. But um, but there are other things that that we need to um, surround ourselves with mm -hmm. to give us that sense of of meaning. Um, and that will, I think, for most people, you know, money isn't what gets us out of bed in the morning, right? And gets mm -hmm. us excited to go to work. It's yeah. this idea yeah. that. I can do something meaningful that I can change somebody's life or I can make something better or I can um, add something really beautiful and creative to the world that wasn't previously right. there. Right. Um, and and those are the kinds of things that, um, you know, we recently had a death in the family. And so it's made me think a lot about, you know, in your last days, what is it? What is it that you want to be remembered for? Mm -hmm. What is it that you... Um, how is it that you'd want to celebrate your life um, as you're, you're passing, you know, and yeah. I, I don't imagine any of us would like want to be on our deathbed, just like drowning in cash, right? <laughs> like you're on your deathbed, you want to be with the people you love, you want to, um, you want to celebrate, you know, what um, the good and the beautiful things that, that mm. you see around you and that you've been able to experience. Mm. Well, sorry to hear about you know, your your death and your family, but thank you. Um, again, I think it's a great point you mentioned about you know um, what people want to be remembered for after they die, because a lot of people don't really really spend a lot of time thinking about it. And you have have do you think you've reached a stage yet where you think 
you are more concerned perhaps about your legacy than you know what you do you know at the present day maybe um well I would like to say the caveat that I don't think I'm that old. <laughs> so hopefully, you don't look old. Hopefully, well. I'm, don't look old. You don't look yeah. old. Hopefully I'm not near my my uh, deathbed yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know my there's there's a couple things, um, and this is going to look different for everyone. This is very much my personal story, but um, I I lost my father when I was very young. I was only 14 years old when he passed, and and so I think that big of a loss at such a young age mm-hmm. really shaped me in um, terms of recognizing that life doesn't last forever and mm-hmm. that things can end much more quickly than than you might think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is something to be said about living like you don't have as much time as Mm. you might expect Mm. um and so how do you make the most of the time that you have and of course none of us know exactly when we're gonna go Mm. um so so i think that that has been um a very significant thing in shaping how i think and um how i think about life and death Mm. i think also um you know my faith just instills in me this sense of eternity mm. that um that people are eternal beings with eternal souls yeah. and and as such what what matters most are the things that are eternal and not the things that are fleeting mm. um and and so for me then that is um a lot of what we've been talking about it is caring mm. for other people mm. it is um cultivating the really um, wonderful and beautiful things around us um, and trying to make this world a little bit more bright and just and good. Um, and, you know, in hopes that those are the kinds of things that that will last far beyond my single lifetime. So you, so you mentioned, you know, you, you finding a passion in writing during, you know, your burnt out years, I guess, in China. Uh, and yeah. you've been doing that, um, you know, for a long time. Um, what gives you the most meaning or joy um, in writing, you think? Yeah. Well, I think like many artists, there's just something in me that loves to create. You know, actually, I think probably most people have that in them and it comes out in different ways. Okay. So for me, it's writing, you know, for yeah. others, it might be painting or innovating or, yeah. you know, gardening. Um and and so there is just the satisfaction that I you know as a writer I feel like I should be able to describe it but um, <laughs> of of being able to put into words the human experience in such a way that can be communicated and transmitted to others um, you know at the heart of writing I think is storytelling whether it's nonfiction or fiction I happen to write mostly nonfiction uh, but but in both regards it's it's telling the stories of who we are as humans and what it is to live on this earth you know at this moment in time and and so in that storytelling there's this rich sense of connection 
with I think the sort of universal human experience, but also connection yeah. with other individual people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I get to, I, I've done some journalism. And so when I get to interview people and share their story in an article, um, there is this particular connection that I feel with that person of like, now I know some of your story. Now I know some of who you are. And it feels like a privilege to be able to share that with other people. And um, there's a lot of writing that is solitary, but um, but I get to be part of you know some really rich and wonderful communities of writers where we're all supporting each other. And I occasionally hear feedback from people who've read my work um, like yourself. And and that's really, really meaningful because yeah. you know I don't think we would have met, right? If I yeah, hadn't written yeah, thing yeah. And, and put both, it out there. Have and, great power. Yeah, yeah. So it's a great opportunity to connect with others. And I think just to help build empathy in the world, like help us all to understand one another a little bit better and to hopefully then care for each other more. So finally, before we end the interview, um, I know that you are, you know, the director, the editorial director of, you know, Made for mm -hmm. Blacks. Um, so yeah. usually we ask our guests um, if they are, you know, recruiting or hiring any people. And if that's the case, um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about perhaps your company and, you know, if you would be hiring, you know, in the future? small nonprofit. There's there's only six of us on the team. We're one hundred. I hope they're not uh, burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we're doing okay. Uh, okay yeah. Okay. So yeah. I I would say this is probably the healthiest organization that I've ever been a part of, which oh. is saying a lot. Um, I yeah. I really give a lot of credit to our executive director for being very intentional about um making sure that we take time off when we need to. We actually create a lot of space in our team meetings to check in with each other um, to, you know, because we're a faith-based nonprofit. So we even yeah. engage in spiritual practices together in our team meetings. And by the way, this is all over Zoom because we're <laughs> we're remote. So we're, we're spread out okay. across the country okay. in the US, but um, but it's still a really beautiful way to mm. connect with one another and, and build that relationship. Um, and so uh, PAX is a, a nonprofit that really hopes to inspire and equip uh, the Christian church mm. to pursue peace and justice. Right. And we particularly want to elevate and equip people of color uh, mm. because those are groups that have been um, historically marginalized yeah. within the church and have not been fully empowered and, you know, given enough leadership and, and respect. So uh, we do that through creating a lot of different content. Um, we have guides, we have an online publication, we have curriculum. Um, we're also launching a young adult fellowship for, you know, it's great that we're having this conversation about um, yeah. about career and, you know, yeah. meaning and vocation because our, our fellowship for young adults ages 20 to 35 is all about figuring out what is your calling? Yeah. What is your vocation? Um, and how do you continue to find meaning and integrate, you know, if you are a person who cares deeply about a more just world, how do you integrate those values into your work? So that's something that we're launching this fall that we're really excited about. Mm -hmm. um, so so those are some of the, the projects and programs that we have going on. Uh, I believe we are hiring an exec executive assistant. Right. Um, so if, if someone- I can include a link, um, you know, in the description. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I could say it's a fantastic team. Um, and, you know, if not this role, there may be other ones in the future, or you're definitely welcome to check out our fellowship. Um, we're, we're looking for folks who, who want to be a part of a learning cohort for six mm -hmm. months and um, really seriously delve into these questions of what does it look like to find meaningful work that is authentic to who I am. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for um, the interview today um, and, you know, wish you all the success in your Thank career. Thank you. Thank you company. so much. It's a great conversation. Thank you.